Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, is there something different? You look so different. You have a glow about you, Sue. Well, you know, you're very astute, Steve. I actually got a facial today. Oh, wow. And I was able to retrieve it. It's from 2019. Well, you know, in California, coupons are not supposed to ever go bad. Oh, okay. But this you know, was it's, deep. It's the really? law. I, Gift I, certificates are not allowed to expire in California. I think this is true. Okay. Well, what I didn't know, so the place where I get facials, I, ro- I drove by there a couple of months ago and it was closed. They shut down during the pandemic. Right. Like, oh my God, now I'm not going to be able to retreat. And of course, I felt bad for the all the people that weren't working. Um, but I was like, oh no, I won't be able to use it. And then I called them up, and they moved actually closer to my house to a place. Actually, the woman today said, "It's it's Hudavi 2.0 because <laughs> it, it's not as fancy, it's not as big, but it still was it was great." So. And the and the gift certificate still worked. Yes. Well, you got it going on today. Mm. Um, And I'm excited for today's show. Our guest is one of the best character actors working today. He has been in countless film and television projects, but he's best known for two of them. Two great ones. Uh, He was one of the stars of Fleabag, which is one of the funniest shows of the last decade. And he plays Murray on the huge, huge hit Stranger Things, where he's going to be a key character in the upcoming fourth season. Brett Gelman is joining us. Brett, thanks so much for doing this. Of course, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So you started out in improv, and you were part of the Upright Citizens Brigade. You did a lot of uh, improv stuff. Is that a skill you're born with, or is that a skill you've got to learn? Um, you know, I think, I mean, it's definitely a skill you got to learn. I think, I think being funny which then fuels being able to improvise is something I don't know if you're born with, but that you absorb, you know, at least as you get older in like a more subconscious way. And I think like a lot of that has to do with how you uh, (laughs) filter uh, pain and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. I want. I wanted to ask you something because I I was reading some of the names of some of the. You were in a duo called Cracked Out, and then there was another uh, group that you were. Uh, it was called Monkey Dick, and then there was another sketch group called Mister Ass. And I want to know what were the names you didn't go with. Oh, I. <laughs> I once. I never went this. Uh, with this route, but I once suggested to some of my uh, friends when they newly formed an improv group that they go with a name called My Ass Doubles as an Ass and a Toilet. (laughs) (laughs) I would never make that the name of my group. No, of course not. (laughs) Well above that. Well above that. Yeah, I mean, you know, not a very mature uh, (laughs) group of people that I was hanging out with at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like you were born funny, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I grew up around a lot of really funny people. Like, my dad and my uncles uh, are 
you know, and were insanely funny guys. And then my mother was, uh, and my grandmothers were unintentionally funny. And, and then I was just, I wanted to do this from an early age. So like from like, as a little kid, I was obsessively watching over and over and over again, a lot of comedy. Who were your influences growing up? Um, like my main influences I'd say were the Marx brothers and Mel Brooks and like Mel Brooks's whole company, which is like Gene Wilder, Harvey Corman, Madeline Kahn, Cloris Leachman, Marty Feldman, Dom DeLuise. Mm. And, uh, then, uh, Chaplin, Peter Sellers, I, Eddie Murphy, Bill Murray. I mean like the original Saturday night live cast guys, you know, like Bill Murray and, Gilda and Debbie Chase, Aykroyd. Uh, so yeah, I think like those were really my main guys. And then as I got a little older, I was exposed to Monty Python. So yeah. I them too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you about Fleabag because I, for me, Fleabag is the funniest show of, I, I would say the last decade. It's so original. It's so completely um, unlike anything I've ever seen. What For you, how did you wind up on that show? Did you know Phoebe Waller-Bridge or did you know of her? No, uh, I didn't. I, I had never uh, heard of her and I did not know her. Um, and uh, I knew an Amazon executive uh, who called me and I was a last minute replacement. So I got a call from this executive on like a Wednesday and he, you know, uh, he was like, we're sending you the pilot. We filmed the pilot and, and the whole season's scripts of this show that we've acquisitioned from the BBC by this very talented performer and writer named Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, just her one, it's based off her one person show that was like a gigantic hit at Edinburgh and, uh, uh, and in London. And, uh, yeah, so let us know what you think. I'm like, great, I can't wait to check it out. And then he was like, well, great. If you could let us know pretty soon, though, because your first day of shooting is on Tuesday. Again, <laughs> so it happened really fast. I got to, I got there. I was in the, I remember showing up at my trailer. I think I went right from the airport. I'm, maybe not. I'm not sure. But I was I was in my trailer and then Phoebe and uh, and the director Harry Bradbeer. <laughs> my dog is scratching her bed here. Hey, hun, enough. We we've all got dogs roaming yeah, around here yeah. right you now. May, no you worries. may hear ours too. <laughs> I, I I'm not horrified because it's happened to everybody that I've talked to. <laughs> them multiple times. Uh, no, but uh, so I was in the trailer and I remember them coming in and they were so nice, but also I think wary and a little nervous, like, I hope this works out. And we were immediately shooting. Uh, so luckily, yeah, it, uh, I I think they, they did a good bit of casting with me in that role uh, because I was able to, you know. Uh, I I connected to his self hatred, I think, and his like feeling alienated pretty fast. So I think that that uh, 
that helped the character. And then, you know, uh, playing drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, um, and it just, you know, and the writing is just so uh, perfect and brilliant that it was really easy to connect with. You know, it was very clear and he's such an amazing actor to work with too. And Harry is such an incredible director that, yeah, it uh, it went it went smooth. Thank and, you. and and who's Martin? I mean, who who is he to you? I mean, where did you draw for this character? Yeah, Martin is. Uh, I mean, he's a very lonely person. He's an alcoholic. He is waking up every day knowing deep down that his wife doesn't love him anymore. And it's sort of this like chicken and the egg scenario that she doesn't really love him anymore because of how he behaves, but how he behaves, you know, the drinking and all of the like horrible jokes that he's telling all the time, offensive jokes that he's saying all the time is, is a way to sort of like, you know, be seen in some way and rebel against his own alienation and isolation. But the tragic cycle of it is that it, it alienates and isolates him even more, you know? And he is like also somebody who sees the truth. Like I, I said to Phoebe once and, and she agreed. I was like, I think, I think Fleabag and Martin are actually very similar to each other. And that's part of the reason that they end up hating each other. You know, what's interesting about it is, and I, I would imagine that the reaction Martin, your character gets is is negative. You're kind of the the you're you're the bad guy of the show. But but for me, I actually feel I feel kind of sorry for Martin. I do too. I do too. And and thank you. No, I I I think that I I never played him as somebody who was out to do bad or disliked people. I think like you know even with the kissing scene in the first season where I try to kiss Phoebe. I think that I, you know, I played that in that he thought that they had this connection, uh, and and then she, in in his mind, she humiliates him, and then she tells Claire that they're, you know, that I did that, you know, and jeopardizes my marriage, you know, and so I think that that at that moment, then all bets are off. He he is justified in whatever he has to do to keep his marriage afloat. And if that he's fine with destroying Phoebe, if that, if that's the case, Martin's got a great line. I'm not a bad guy. I just have a bad personality. It's not my fault. That kind of summarizes, I think who Martin is. Yeah. And I really, re- I mean, I, you know, I relate to that. I mean, you know, I do a lot of therapy to not think about myself in that way, but, uh, you know, there's definitely been times where I've like been like, wow, you know, you, you, I go through those moments where I do feel alone and feel, look at all the friendships that have ended and I go through them and go, is that them or me or what? And, uh, and I can be off-putting at times, I think, but not mean to me. So yeah, it, uh, it was, I mean, so much of that show and that character really hit home. So, so being a trained improv actor, you know, what kind of freedom do you find that, that you get when you get roles? 
I was classically trained before that. So I was, you know, I learned Shakespeare and I learned, the, you know, all of the great playwrights. I went through like rigorous vocal and physical and text analysis training. Uh, but, and then, you know, a big thing with, with, lear- you know, then going and learning improv so extensively, which I mean, like UCB was like a real intensive learning process. I mean, you're terrible for a while. I mean, the same thing goes with for stand up. I mean, you just are going to be bad. It's just you're 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 using muscles in a way that you've never used them, and having to take like what natural funniness you have and put them in this like craft, like this this contained you know con- context to like to be funny on stage, essentially. I think like more than anything, like bombing so much is like the biggest gift because you learn to like focus on, on the work and not be afraid that, you know, a take is going to be bad. A day is going to be bad to learn to be honest about it being bad, uh, to learn to be honest about it, that you feel that it's good when everybody else is maybe not, you know, it doesn't understand it when you're surrounded by morons, which, uh, I'm not, you know, and the same goes for when you know it's bad and and you're surrounded by morons and they're saying it's great. Uh That's even worse. Mm -hmm. So I do a a radio show five days a week, uh, three hours uh, on ESPN. And it's very sort of, it really is improv, but I grade myself constantly on shows. Like I'll say, I'll have a number scale in my head. I'll say, well, that was probably a seven. And that was probably a four. That one really sucked. I have really, I'm my own worst critic. Do you, do you, uh, do you get that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a writer too. So that that's very much like the case for my writing. A lot of times with acting, uh, I just don't know a lot of, you know, I, I, I do it. And then they say action. I throw myself into it and then they say cut. Or if it's on stage, you know, you enter, you, then you bow. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't know. I mean, I, on stage, if you're doing a comedy, um, it's a little more, you, you can tell a little bit more because you have an audience that's laughing. And, and uh, But yeah, I try, to, I try to not judge in a positive or negative way. But I also, I know when it, I know when it's like really working and I know when it's like bad, when I'm like stiff in my head, pushing, you know, things like that. So, uh, but the best is when you're just like, oh my God, I don't know. It's probably the, the best that I am is when I don't know what the hell just happened. Yeah. You know, I did stand up for a really, really long time and that was my career for like 30 something years. And, um, I always found that if I just owned how I was feeling on stage and just allowed it to just be and, you know, try not to judge it and just, you know, and sometimes even let the audience know this is a shitty night. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not here right now with you guys. It's just, it's just not happening. And, and, and try to find, you know, the, the humor in that and, and, and just kind of let them in. Um, it, 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 it would kind of feel a, a little bit better. When anybody would heckle me, I'd be like, Oh, thank God. Now I really light the roof off. <laughs> Blow the roof off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Is that desperation to be good? I think that doing comedy 
it, it really it took away that away in a lot of ways. Not that I don't experience that still. Not that I'm not like nervous and you know. Not that I'd, I I very deeply care about doing a good job. But yeah, it took away that desperation of like uh, it's good, right? It's good. Oh my god, uh, I hope it's good. And and being able to do like you said, be like, oh, that sucked. Do you remember Kevin Meany, the comedian? Yes, of course. Okay, so Steve, I don't know how familiar you were with No, Kevin. I actually saw him New Year's Eve uh, when it turned 2000 at Caroline's in Times Square. Oh, okay, that's when we were in New York together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he used to do such a funny thing. When people didn't laugh, he would just go into song and say, you know, I don't care, I don't care. People aren't laughing, they're not getting my jokes, I don't care. <laughs> and then how can you, I mean, there were people that would never go there with him, you know, because they just didn't like him that much. But I just respected him so much for, for really owning it. Yeah, no, I mean, uh friend of mine, Brody Stevens, he just, it would be amazing. I mean, I'd see some of the funniest stand-up I've ever seen was him doing like a show in like the Ramada Inn for like four people. <laughs> went off for like 20 minutes and being like, you don't get it. You don't. <laughs> and it was so funny. Be, and, and not just because it was, I don't think it was just because it was like comedians like laughing of like, you know, it, uh, inside baseball type of thing. I think it was like, it was legitimately funny. You were like seeing this guy like really deal with nobody liking him. And uh, yeah, that's great. No, I love, yeah, I love Kevin. Meany. So, so I was uh, thinking about how you got to go to the, all the award shows. You went to the golden globes and you went to the Emmys and all that. So I always joke that, uh, why, why do you do this? I'm in this for the awards. Um, the, the reality is, uh, I don't, I don't really care, but was it cool to be on that sort of ride? Oh my God. Yeah, no, I mean, I care. I, well, I wouldn't care if it wasn't something that I believed in. Like if I was in a piece of garbage and it was getting all of these accolades, I think I would definitely, I mean, I would take the ride, but I would, it wouldn't be as, as enjoyable as that was just because we were like kind of the little engine that could, you know, there wasn't like a ton of promotion done around us getting uh, those awards. And we were this little show from, from England. And, uh, and I remember showing up at the Emmys and just being like, are we going to win? And then, yeah, the show won, Phoebe won, uh, Harry won. Uh, I mean, Phoebe won multiple awards and yeah, it just was like, it was amazing. And, and then after the Emmys happened, you were like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to win a lot of these. And it, it was insane. It, it was cause it wasn't just that we were nominated and that we were winning. It felt like the whole, that everybody wanted us to win. Like even other nominees were like, you should. Win. <laughs> and that felt really good to have that support there. And I met like heroes and people that I deeply, deeply admire, you know, saying that they loved my work and I hadn't experienced it on that type of scale before. And that's really, it, it meant a lot, you know, getting up on stage and like Nor seeing Norman Lear hand that award one foot away from me to Phoebe, you know, that was crazy. Yeah. So you were in the final episode of Mad Men and uh, and you were nude in the scene. What was that like? Was that uncomfortable? 
it was fine. It was fine until I saw myself and I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. I, yeah, because I think like I, I stopped drinking like shortly <laughs> after that, like before the show came out. So I had lost a bunch of weight. So like when I saw myself, oh, wow. Okay. I was like, I was bloated. I was bloated. It wasn't like heavy. It's not like just about, it's like bloat, you know, swollen, inflamed. And I look good. I mean, I look like a nice, like cuddly, smooth, naked. Bear. I look like a bear that was shaved. That was great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to like be in my underwear a ton. So it wasn't so uncomfortable. It might've been cold. By the way, last, last episode of Mad Men, mm. one of the most underrated finales there has ever been for a show. I used to go to Esalen Institute, so I've, I've been nude at that, at that place and didn't really think about it. But clearly, he was, <laughs> he was at Esalen, and the, the uh, Like to Teach the World to Sing commercial sort of springs from his head. It is just a brilliant finale to a great show. Yeah, no, that's definitely one of the best shows ever made, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, it was an honor. But, you know, even though I had that, you know, such a small role, it was still like an honor. It would have been a treat, you know, in an episode of that show. It was great. It's funny. It's like I've played these like little roles in a bunch of different things that I really love. And, uh, but somehow the character is still very extreme unlike any other character in the show. So, you know, when, when you, you know, because there, there's that saying, was it Stanislavski that said that there's no small roles, just small actors? Um, yeah. By the <laughs> way, that's the first Stanislavski quote ever on, on this podcast, ever. <laughs> All right, I'm just trying to bring something smart yeah, to the table. smart, smart stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you, I, I, do you approach it differently? I mean, or you have to work harder because you have like less screen time? Um, I think it's, uh, no, I approach it the same, depending on like what the tone of the thing is, you know, if it's like a really improvisational type of comedy, like a lot of the work I think is going to be done on set and that you can over prepare for that. And, and, and there are comedies that, you know, like Fleabag and Love and, uh, you know, Lemon, this film I co-wrote with, uh, with Janixa Bravo, my ex-wife, who uh, the director, co-writer of Zola, which is coming out soon, uh, or which came out already, came out yesterday. Yeah, for those, I mean, like, even those are those are comedies, that's so like, you know, a lot of preparation goes into that. And a lot of preparation goes into everything. I do a lot of thinking about every character that I play. I think what is different always is not the preparation, but, like, how I deal with it on set. So, I mean, hey, it's, it's easier because it's less lines to memorize. But it's the same amount of, of focus effort. Yeah. You know, it's funny is you, you've had such impactful small role. Like I I'm thinking of curb your enthusiasm and uh, the pig Parker and what a funny commercial, what a funny show that was. I mean, it's like, you're, you're just the right guy for so many spots. You know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, with that, that you couldn't do really operation because you don't know what you're going to do before you get there. Or at least what I didn't, because I only had that one scene. I'm sure if you have like an arc you, and, and I didn't rehearse, I didn't audition. I think when you, a lot of people audition, they know what they're going in there to do. 
But uh, yeah, <laughs> that was really fun. And that was just like hooking into Larry's energy, you know, and, and, you know, they're, you know, one of the biggest, it's a, he's a, I mean, we talk about heroes when, you know, with Seinfeld and Curb, that was, I wasn't so much like a, I was like, I was a teenager when Seinfeld came out and that was a huge influence on me. Huge. Uh, and so getting to do that with, you know, one of my idols was just crazy. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's unbelievable. Sue did an episode of, uh, of Curb, right, Sue? I did. I did. Well, I know Larry from back in the day. I mean, I know Larry when, you know, he was doing stand up regularly and I'm, it, it's common knowledge to a lot of people who live in the stand up world, but he used to get off stage like after like his first line, you know, he's, do you know that joke? He used to do the, the two phrase and it was, uh, he, he would say to the audience, can I be that informal with you? And uh, no one would get it. Only the comedians would be laughing in the back of the room, and he'd walk off stage. <laughs> the the MC actually, whenever Larry came on stage, they stood by the door, uh, by the entrance of the room, because you never knew when he was going to bail. All the stories, yeah. He and I, we didn't like gab a lot uh, during it. He had no interest in that. But I also <laughs> get how many can like gab with everybody, and he's been making a show. But he was so gracious when we were improvising. Like, you know, he breaks when you're doing it. When he likes what you're doing, he starts to break. That's insane. That's like to have one of the funniest people ever to live laughing at you while you're improvising with him was just like, it would just fill you with so much confidence and energy that would just go into the scene. It's, you know, and as you know, you don't shoot it for very long. We did like three, you know, each scene, I'm sure, well, maybe it's different, but our scene was like three takes. Yeah, yeah. He um, he was very gracious. And um, like you said, I mean, it's what a compliment to make Larry David laugh. Yeah, yeah. That was a real, that's a real moment for me in my life. You know, most actors, you know, you get one show to come along that turns into a phenomenon and you feel lucky, right? You got Fleabag, which was just gigantic. Now you land Stranger Things, which uh, you're going to be a series regular, I guess, for season four, I think. Um, And you play Murray uh, and and you speak Russian, right? You speak Russian? No, I'm what Murray does, but I, I, I don't know how to speak the language. I learned my lines. I had like a coach and everything. Do you know anything now? Can you say anything now? (laughs) <laughs> not a word oh, I'm very busy I, I, I'm, I'm constantly like doing all of these different things writing all these things memorizing new lines so like it got like I'm a very good memorizer I can memorize fast but once I do it it go once I get on to the next thing I don't remember the lines anymore however if, if you showed it to me right now, I would get it very fast, like faster than I did originally. But yeah, I mean, that's amazing to get to do that and like learn Russian and learn, you know, it's, it's not easy. And, but it was just, it was just so rewarding to, get to do that. How much fun was it working with these kids? I mean, these, that, that cast, I mean, they really are amazing actors. It just feels like kids are just, 
incredible actors these days. Not that there weren't in the past, but it just feels like there's like a strain that is so much stronger than I remember growing up. Yeah, these kids, they blow my mind. I mean, they're really, they're phenomenal actors. You know, I think that they bring to it. They're all like very original people too. You know, there's nobody like any of them. So they bring that originality, that spirit to to their performances, and uh, and they're very giving kids. You know? And I know that that's a strange thing maybe to say about a child, but uh, you know they are the stars of the show. So you know they're like and they're rock stars. I mean, and when I would introduce like Millie, it was like you were introducing the Beatles. It was crazy. Like the crowds would flip out and. And they're great kids who, who work really hard. So I, I was a kid from the 80s, and I saw a lot of movies with kids those age, uh, that age, uh, and always a monster of some kind. And it just captures that era so well, that era of movies. It's that, it's that sort of uh, Spielberg kind of feel to it. How, how would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, I... I I always say how lucky I feel because I get to live out a childhood fantasy of being the comedic character in an 80s Spielberg movie, you know? And it's just, uh, it's pretty amazing. And you really feel like Spielberg. And I think the Duffer brothers have like a sync division that's different from those guys too. And they bring an original vision to it. Uh, But they're definitely influenced by those guys. You know, I, I'd also like, you know, throw John Carpenter in there and Stephen King. I mean, you know, I'm not the first to say <laughs> the Duffers have said this, but like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's bringing on that, that whole, that whole genre. So what can you say about, I mean, I'm going to ask the obligatory uh, season four question. Um, can you, what can you say about, Season four, I know you, Murray plays a more primary role to things. What, what's what's going on with season four? Um, well, I can say that, you know, it's, the show gets taken out of Hawkins. So um, on my side of that, I, I join up with Joyce, played by Winona Ryder, and we go to Russia to save Jim Hopper, David Harbour, from the, the uh, prison. And so that is the main thing that at least at the beginning is going on uh, with Murray. And then when do we get to see season four? I have no idea. None? I really don't. All my favorite shows. I'm like, when? when is this one coming back? And when is this one coming back? It's, I, I don't even know. Pandemic really uh, stalled stuff up a little bit. But I mean, it, it won't be too long. Uh, but we're, we are still shooting. So, uh, and then the show will have to be fully edited and whatnot, you know, the whole season. So, uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. And they might have an idea, but they haven't told me. Yeah. And now, <laughs> now you're in, and now you're in a, a blockbuster action movie, huh? Who, who would have thought I, I, you know, when I think of you, it's something that, that doesn't come to mind. What, what made you take the role in without remorse? Well, I think that, uh, that was the reason I thought, it, I thought it would, be a surprise to people and it would show a different side of me as an actor and you know I want to keep I want the types of roles that I get 
to keep growing. You know, not that I don't want to be funny, but I also want to play roles that are not funny. And uh, that's another fantasy of mine to play like a hardcore villain and, and to work, you know, I mean, when, when Michael B. Jordan is like, you're getting called to do an action movie with Michael B. And you're not going to really say no to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Hey, listen, man, it's, it's great uh, talking to huge Huge fan. Uh, Fleabag, if if there's somebody listening that hasn't seen that, it's on Amazon Prime. It's unbelievable. Uh, Netflix uh, has Stranger Things, which season four uh, will be coming out sometime relatively soon. And then Without Remorse is on Amazon Prime, too. Hey, Brett, it's great meeting you. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, man. You both, too. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much. And there is Brett Gelman, who really, I said, you know, lightning doesn't always strike twice for an hour. I mean, he's, he's been in some key moments uh, in, uh, in Fleabag and in Stranger Things now. And you mentioned the finale of Mad Men. I mean, he's just got a knack for being in the right stuff. God, and he's, you know, he's so funny, too. Like, you, you had mentioned uh, Eagleheart. And for anybody who hasn't seen this show, you have to watch it. It is the best 11-minute per episode time spent. Yes. And Chris Elliott is ridiculously funny. And it's from Conan's company. Um, it's so, so funny. Yeah, I think it's on HBO Max, Max. now, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. HBO mm-hmm. Max. Really, really funny. Um, so, Sue, on this day in 1993, Late Night with David Letterman uh, – aired for the final time on NBC and he made the jump to CBS. And it made me think, you know, more than anybody else in my life, with the exception of maybe my mom, more than anybody else in life uh, than has shaped my sense of humor than David Letterman. Um, I think that's, that's what I remember being at Bowling Green. I remember staying up really late and watch Letterman every single night. Um, Where did your sense of humor come from? more than anywhere else? Um, you know, it's funny because Brett was talking about his family and his, and, and, his, um, and his father and relatives. My parents um, were funny, but they had really, really funny, funny friends. All of their friends were hysterical. Hmm. And I saw them a lot. You know, some of them lived in the neighborhood. Some of them, you know, we lived in Long Island, so that a lot of them lived in Brooklyn, and they would, you know, come and visit with us. But my mother had this one friend whose name was Laser, which is um, Yiddish for Larry. And he was the kind of guy, like, if he caught you picking your nose, he would look at you and say, what, are you looking for Larry? You know, he would, <laughs> he, he would always make fun of you in a way that, you know, it was just so silly. Um, but I, I, would say, I would say my parents' friends uh, totally um, shaped me. And, and one comedian in particular was Alan King, who mm. I watched religiously as a kid because I, you know, he was Jewish and grew up, you know, he, he was so New York and I related to everything he talked about. Yeah. My mom, who I always, there's an urban, not an urban myth. There's a family folklore kind of story uh, that my mom uh, back in the seventies went to a Tom Jones concert in Las Vegas and threw her panties on the stage. Uh, And we talked about this on Mason and Ireland because we talk about weird stuff like this. So John said, I don't believe it. I want your mom on the show. 
So I, I said, okay, we'll call my mom. We'll settle this once and for all. And John asked the question, did you throw your panties up on the stage at a Tom Jones concert? And my mom, who had no idea what was coming, said, John, I wasn't wearing any panties. <laughs> like, oh my God, mom. Oh my God. <laughs> so my mom played a huge role in shaping my sense of humor uh, also, without question. The other thing I noticed that, you know, it's Pride, it was Pride Month in June. And uh, Pride Weekend in New York City, Madonna shows up at a big pride party at a place called the Boom Boom Room. A big surprise, right? Madonna shows up. She's a gay icon. And she is wearing, she's 62, 62 actually. She's wearing no bra and a mesh top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so how do you feel about that? 62-year-old woman, no bra, mesh top. You know, if you can pull it off, more power to you. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I look at someone like, you know, look at Tina Turner at 80, you know, when she was yeah. 80, you know, dancing on stage with those gorgeous long legs and sexy tops and high heels. You know, if you can do it. I mean, I don't I don't think it's tasteless if you could pull it off. You don't think it is. You, you don't think there's sort of sort of an age cut off for uh, no bra mesh top. I, you know, I have to see what it what it what it looked like. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, what I what I actually found offensive was when I saw um what's her name? Uh Kim Kardashian wore some outfit to some some of some I don't know if it was an award show or, or right. was an opening for something. And basically she had like one strip of material in, in her cleavage and then both of her boobs were just like there. And not out. I don't they were out. No. They were, yes, they were. They were. And it was so ridiculous to me. And um, yeah, you saw her nipples. I mean, it was just really so it was so offensive. Yeah. Um, So to me, it's not an age thing. Don't pick on Kim Kardashian. I I really like Kim Kardashian. All right. Well, I think she's very underrated as a I hate the word, but as an entrepreneur, I just read, you know, how Ralph Lauren does the opening and closing uh, ceremony outfits for the Olympic team for the U.S. (laughs) Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Kim is doing the loungewear for the Olympic team, the underwear, the loungewear, the sweatsh pants, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like that. She is like everywhere. She is really a good businesswoman. I'm not take. I'm not that has being a good businesswoman has nothing to do with being tasteless with what you're wearing. And that was the question, you know, you were saying, is it, is it an age thing? Is there a certain age where you should stop doing something? Yes. I I think that it's not an age thing. I think it's just what it looks like. And what she wore was so ridiculously offensive. And I was like, how does anybody let you out of the house like that? I mean, you know, better, you know, it's just stupid. Yeah. Don't pick on Kim. Not on this, not on this podcast. Well, I'm half of it, so I could do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> All right, so uh, Sue, you know who makes this show possible every week? Yes, our good buddy Jacob. Yep, and uh, Jacob, if a loved one is injured in any kind of accident, Jacob wants everybody to know that you got to go see a doctor right away. Knows, knows you're busy, but if you're injured in a car or work-related accident, it's not like having a cold, calling the doctor a week later. How quickly you call the doctor after an accident is key 
to your case. I mean, your health is important, right? You want to get that fixed up right away. But on top of that, you want to document your injury so that you can get ultimately the maximum compensation. You got to call an attorney like Jacob. He will set up the doctor appointment for you, get you in to see a specialist, usually within 24 hours, make sure you're healthy and bolster your case against the insurance company. So if you or somebody you know is injured in any kind of accident, 24 hours a day, call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB, 844-24-JACOB, or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie, call Call Jacob. Jacob. No, still not right. right. (laughs) But maybe that's, you know, is that the charm of this? Yeah. (laughs) To like just never get it right? It's it's the bit. Charming, I don't know. It's yeah, the bit. It's the bit. Uh, all right, Jay, thank you very much for listening today. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you can get the next show and all the rest. Uh, feel free to uh, rate the show and review the show. We always appreciate that, too. Sue, congratulations on the facial. You look great. Thank you so much, Steve. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.